You're listening to the Daily Sweat Podcast, where we are all about doing something that makes you sweat every single day. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Sweat Podcast. As always, I am super stoked that you're here, and I am also stoked to be here. I'm really pumped for my interview today. I had on an amazing guest, and I really, really just loved our conversation. I felt like we jived super well. And I think I said this in the podcast interview, but there was a moment where I was like, am I talking to myself because we just seem to have so many similar beliefs and philosophies on different things about how we treat ourselves and how we show up for ourselves. So, you know, if you've ever vibed with any of the kind of like self-compassion stuff that I talk about, or you like the things that I talk about when it comes to how we treat ourselves, you are absolutely going to love Vanessa. So I want to dive right into the interview today. We talk about all things self-compassion. We talk about not being a shithead to yourself, which is basically what her brand is built upon. And I just love that she uses that. So before we dive into the interview, let me give you a quick rundown on who Vanessa is. So Vanessa Vela is a mind body coach and main chick at Vanessa Vela Coaching. She helps people learn to stop being shitheads to themselves by getting out of their heads and into their bodies so they can achieve their dreams with hella ease and joy. Vanessa helps her clients develop the body awareness and self-knowledge they need to discover what works for them so that they can make her redundant and keep on coaching themselves in perpetuity. So without further ado, let's dive into the interview with Vanessa. All right. Well, welcome to the Daily Sweat Podcast today, Vanessa. I'm super stoked to have you here with us. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So before we dive into the meat of our conversation, I have a question that I love to ask everybody who comes on the show, and I would love to start by learning what you are most excited about in life right now. Um, Well, it's actually a very exciting time in my life right now because I've been going through a lot of personal change and upheaval, which actually has been a really great, great way to reflect on how much being a life coach has changed me as a person and has given me the skills that I use to get through exciting but difficult times. And it's a nice change to sort of take all that stuff I use with my clients and I know works and and apply it in my own life. So I've just moved cities. Um, I'm single for the first time in like 15 years. I'm living on my own for the first time in my life. Uh, So all that stuff's going on with my personal life. And um, I'm always excited about my business. I'm continuing to sort of, you know, try to reach more people and help more people change their lives and, uh, you know, have a greater sense of self-satisfaction and also just treating themselves better and being happier from day to day, whatever that means for them. So um, I'm actually starting up a project where I'm going to do like a Q&A type um, thing where people can send me in questions or scenarios. I'm going to write back to people and try to share my smart knowledge out that way, as well as one-on-one with my clients. So Amazing. Lots of new, new, hey? Yeah, everything. Yeah, like it's just, it's only halfway through the year. And I just keep repeating that like a mantra because I feel like I've been through a full year already this year. And I'm like, it's only June, only June. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's it's all necessary. It's all moving me forward. So, yeah. And, you know, I think one of the, when we're looking for the silver linings in these kinds of situations, I think especially as business owners, when we're in the industry of serving others and helping other people work through their own challenging situations, 
whenever I'm like right in the thick of something and I'm like really wishing that I was anywhere but where I currently am, Mm -hmm. I always can remind myself that whatever I'm experiencing right now will become a lesson that I can then use to help somebody later on. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I love helping people. That's of course why I got into this, like anyone else gets into this business, but it's also got some pretty dope perks, like in terms of how it's helped me. And, you know, like if, if all this stuff had happened to me five years ago, even three years ago, there's no way I would have been handling it the way I have been handling it. And I actually am pretty proud of myself. I literally pat myself on the back right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it's been nice to sort of see that come full circle. Fantastic. So why don't we dive into that a little bit? Why don't you tell us about what exactly it is that you do and how you came to be doing that work today? Um, yeah, so I'll actually start with how I got there because that actually um, does inform what I do a lot. So um, many, many moons ago, I was uh, working in a gym as a personal trainer. I had gone through this personal transformation with my fitness and it made a huge difference in my life and how I thought. And I love being at the gym. And I always joke to people that I basically spent too much time in the gym and they eventually just offered me a job, more or less. <laughs> That's what happens. So watch <laughs> out if you spend a lot of time in the gym and you don't want to work there, you should keep that in mind. Um, and so I started working at the gym and I immediately realized with personal training people that it was so much more than actually the job. People share their whole lives with you and they have so much more going on. And it's the whole, it's the big picture that matters. It's not like how well they learn to do lunch. And so I became sort of obsessed in a way with like, how to help people manage change, because that's what it is. You come to the gym for change, but it's hard to manage new things in your life and you have all these things going on. And so I got really interested in the psychology of behavior change and, and, you know, like nutrition and yoga and all these things that were sort of adjacent to the fitness world. Um, And I eventually realized that what I really liked most about my job was all these things I added in, not actually the job I was there to do. So that kind of led me into um, taking a life coaching certification, um, and then doing uh, two levels of nutrition coaching certifications and then doing yoga teacher training and then promising myself not to take any courses for a year. That's sort of the trajectory I went on. So mm-hmm. I knew I kind of had to branch out of my training job because that's where my strengths really laid and like in just talking to people and, um, and helping them manage these other things in their life. And so I kind of made an exit strategy and I got into life coaching as my focus, but I kept all those other things that I had learned and that I picked up along the way. And so my coaching practice now, I call myself a mind body life coach because I do a lot of body awareness and sensation based mindfulness practices with people. I do a lot of talking with people about their mindset, about their body, about how they feel about food, about, you know, their eating habits and behaviors rather than sort of what they're eating or or how they're moving their body, but like, uh, not the specifics of those things, but, um, more of the philosophy around it and how people think about these things and, and trying to um, get people into more of a balance in terms of um, that mind body connection. So I tend to work with people who are really like overthinkers and stuck in their heads or perfectionists or negative people. I always like to joke to people that if you have someone in your life kind of annoying you, that they're a perfect line for me. So, uh, cause I will totally take on that, whatever kind of wherever they're stuck and help them move through it. And I do that a lot with, um, a more embodied kind of approach and getting people into their bodies. Cause I really firmly believe, I know this for myself personally, but for a lot of my clients that when you develop your self-awareness from your body and then out from there, um, you can develop the skills and resources to basically make me redundant or make all your self-help books redundant or whatever to learn enough about yourself that you can then 
coach yourself and implement change and manage change on your own without anyone helping you. And so my goal when someone hires me is basically for them to fire me at a reasonable point in time and go off on their own. When I was personal training, people would work with me for six months, years on end and and put all this money into uh, their training and get the results from when they were participating. But as soon as they stopped participating, all of that would usually fade away. And that really bummed me out. And so my practice is very much about like making a sustainable, um, you know, set of skills and strengths and resources that people can use when they're not working with me anymore. Oh my gosh, that is so good. You are totally speaking my language here. I love it. And so what has it been like going from, because, you know, when you're a personal trainer and you're kind of leading with the fitness thing, what has it been like then? Did you start having clients who were coming to you for fitness and then you were able to show them that it was deeper than that? Did you have some clients that were resistant to it or like, what was that process like for you? All that stuff. That process I would say was longer than I expected. It, It took a while to sort of transition out of that. And, and I, I did feel like for a long time, I was trying to sell my ideas to people, um, as, uh, particularly in the gym, but even kind of after, because a lot of the referrals I get or, or, or I would get or the network I had built up was from that world. And so sort of naturally, there's all kinds of different people that go in and out of the health and fitness world. So I would meet people that would say like, oh, you're speaking my language. And I'd meet people that'd be like, mm, like, I'm just here for the biceps. And so I, I met <laughs> all the kinds of people, right? Um, and so, yeah, it took a while to transition. And I think the big lesson in that for me as a business person was to think about, um, you know, the sales process should be, you get someone who's interested in what you're putting down and what you're offering. And then the sales part is just sealing the deal. Uh, and for me, I was, I I feel like I was spending a lot of energy, uh, on selling the idea and the service and the whole, you know, philosophy. And then also, the actual, you know, sessions and everything. And so I realized from kind of a marketing point of view that I needed to be more specific about what kind of people I work with um, and what kind of people work well with me because it goes both ways. I, I'm also on the teaching staff for a life coaching course. And so I have a huge network of just other life coaches, which is kind of crazy to think. I know all these people that do my same job, but they're all different. And so it's really about finding the right fit between you and the client. So um, right. probably took me like a couple years to kind of stop getting, you know, people reaching out to me for like the fitness and nutrition stuff, but just as a gradual show. Totally. Yeah. I noticed that in my own business too. Like when, because I am a personal trainer still, it's, I would say it's about half and half now with what I do in my business. But in the beginning, it was purely like fitness. Like, let's go to the gym. Let's run, run, run. And then as similar to you, as I started working with people, I realized that, you know, it's not a lack of not of understanding of what to do. We have all of these workouts and all of these tools and resources available at our fingertips for free. There's a reason why people aren't doing these things. Mm-hmm. And it was weird because I like... I kind of tried to stay in between those two worlds, like still be very fitness oriented, but then like try to like push the mindset stuff onto the fitness oriented people. And it just, it felt so hard and I felt so burned out and exhausted by it. Mm -hmm. It was only really um, recently when I kind of just stopped focusing on the fitness side of my business and started focusing on the business side more when the people who I actually wanted to work with from a fitness standpoint started coming into my life. And it was, it was just such an interesting thing for me to see that once I had stopped pushing for it, that was when the shift actually happened. Yeah. And you know what? Everyone's in their own time. Right. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I can think back to, you know, I, I'm a yoga teacher now and there, I remember going to live with the person and being like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. Like, 
And so I got through that whole trajectory over whatever period of time, right? But if someone had come to me within that first year and said, do you want to train as a yoga teacher? I, I would have said, I will never do that. Like it just, you know, everyone needs to sort of be receptive. And I think one of the good things about being a coach is now I have a much better ability to gauge someone's interest in something. And so even when I was still had my training job, I would sort of, you know, float an idea. And if the person had like a glazed over look, I wouldn't push it. And <laughs> if they were like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. I, you know, I would. Um, but yeah, it does. It's not a sustainable kind of model to be trying to bring people into like what you're putting down. At totally. the end of the day, you need to find people who are like at least marginally interested in what you're putting down and talk to them. Exactly. Yeah. And so when I was looking on your website, I absolutely loved it. And when you sent me the initial email about um, not being a shithead to yourself, I laughed out loud. Yeah. Um, and I would love to know where this idea came from. Like, is this a philosophy that you have always had? Or is this something that's kind of developed over time with the with the work that you do with your clients? Yeah, I, I think um, it definitely developed from real life experience, but I, I wouldn't, I definitely didn't articulate it like that for a long time. I would always just say to myself and other people, I wish people would just be better to themselves. I could just, you know, wish people would be nicer to themselves. And then I actually was working with a business coach who was, uh, we we're going through an exercise and getting really clear on my message and really plain language. Um, and, and sort of tapping into that, that point of frustration that people usually enter into a business like this. So it's like, I really want to help people fix X because it really bothered me that this is a problem in the world, right? And so I ended up saying something like, I just wish, wish people would not be so shitty to themselves. And, uh, and she was like, that's what you should say. And, and it, it took me a long time before I kind of like got up the courage to put swears on my business cards, for example, or on my website, um, because I didn't want to offend people. But then when I, the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what? I love to crack jokes. I swear on occasion. And I want clients that are just going to like be open and let it out. Even if they're like F this and F that for the whole session. Like I love that kind of authenticity. And so I thought, okay, well, this is a great way of throwing down the gauntlet and seeing who's picking up what I'm putting down. Um, and I love hanging out my business cards because everyone giggles at them. And I just think it's really fun. Like I don't know that that has directly translated to me getting all the clients, like having a funny business card, but it is kind of funny, like a good conversation starter. And, and I think the reason people giggle is because we can all think of at least one incident where we're a shithead to ourselves, but like, we can also think of either ourselves or someone we know in our lives. Who's like a classic example of self-directed shitheadery, like in everything we do, you know, like the self-sacrificing person who like never puts themselves first and all that kind of stuff. And, um, I really believe you can turn that around. And the first step is to, you know, admit that you're being a shithead to yourself. And so hopefully when people read that, they reflect they ask themselves that question, right? And if the answer is like, oh my God, I am, you know, a total shithead to myself that they, you know, then book an appointment with me would be the ideal outcome, but, you know, um, so I can help them like unravel that knot. Mm, I love it. And so let's dive into that a little bit more. Like why, why does being a shithead to yourself not work? Why can't we just beat ourselves up into accomplishing all the things that we want to cross off of our lists? Yeah. So this is actually part of the idea that makes it um, sometimes a hard sell people because really being a shithead to yourself does work. It just requires a lot of work to make it work. And I'm, I always tell people I'm an inherently lazy person and people often don't believe me because I get a lot done and I'm very busy, but I love efficiency. I don't like to waste my time. And what I've learned in my personal life and, and seeing this, my clients go through this too, is like, 
you know, anything you decide to do in life, you put energy into doing it in a hard ass, negative, being a shithead to yourself way actually requires more energy. I promise you it does. Like taking the self-compassionate route is taking the route of ease. So it's kind of like, do you want to walk down this path that's clear of obstacles and like do it at a leisurely pace and get to the destination faster? Or do you want to go down this route that's full of obstacles and you have to sprint and you have to jump and you have to, you know, dodge all these things and you still get there, but you're way more tired and it was a lot more work. Like which one would you pick? Um, And I think there is certainly a myth uh, that a lot of people still believe in that that the more, um, you know, rigorous you are with how you talk to yourself, the more effective you are. And it's just not true. So I think that's the part of the idea that you have to sell because we've all kind of been raised in this culture that says if you're like self-kindness is kind of a weakness. It's sort of giving, I was letting yourself off the hook. Like that's kind of the narrative that we've all been taught. Um, but self-compassion is actually, it's a strength It makes things more efficient. It make it saves you energy. And, and like one, you know, like tangible or more practical kind of example of this is if you're being a shithead to yourself and you're in this stress response where you're like piling on yourself, all this criticism for making a mistake, or, you know, maybe you said some stupid thing at work and then you're like, Oh no. Um, if you get caught up in that, it makes it very hard to brainstorm. So if you're in that state, in that mental state, and you're also trying to, let's say, come up with a solution to the situation because you now have to do something to rectify it, you won't be able to think as clearly, you won't be able to think as creatively, um, you know, you'll literally be more tired, you won't be able to necessarily muster up the mental bandwidth to go have that conversation, that follow-up conversation or whatever it is you have to do. And so being able to sit with your feelings and say to yourself, okay, this feels really awful, these are my feelings right now. I know other people have gone through these feelings before, um, you know, and, and I just need to sort of get through it. And then kindly, as if I were talking to a friend, get myself to a point of solution. It's just easier basically and more pleasant. Yeah. I totally, totally hear you on that. What do you, what would you say to somebody if we have someone who's listening and is really hesitant to start being a little bit more compassionate to themselves or a little bit more gentle on themselves because they're worried about like letting themselves off the hook. Like they'll just let everything fall apart if they introduce even a little bit of self-compassion. Sorry, my cat has decided to meow during this podcast interview. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Come here, buddy. Okay. He's going to sit on my lap. It'll be fine. Cool. Animal Um, friends. I like it. So, yeah. So I think um, I really am a big fan of like experimentation and gamifying things because, you know, for clients, it kind of like takes the pressure off. So you do something like, okay, um, I would say to them, if you really firmly believe that this isn't going to work, nothing, I could talk for the rest of your session, but nothing I'm going to say is probably going to convince you because what you need is real life experience and exposure to this idea. So Right now, like whenever you have a belief, your mind is filtering information to get um, evidence to support that belief. So even something simple, like if you think, oh my God, every time I'm out driving, I hit every red light. What will happen is when you hit red lights, you'll pay more attention to that. So you won't even notice when you're not hitting the red lights when you get the green or the yellow, Um, or you won't notice it as much. You might notice the green light and say, oh, once in my life, I hit the green light. Never happened, never happened again. You know what I mean? So one easy strategy to use is to... um, play a little game with yourself where you look for evidence that contradicts your belief just to see if it's out there. So the way I usually float this to a client is I would say, if you're right, you won't find a lot of evidence against your belief. So go out and see if you can. So go out and try letting yourself off the hook and see what happens. Uh, 
you know, say nice things to yourself instead of saying mean things to yourself. Or when you catch yourself saying critical things to yourself, think of something positive or that you're grateful about yourself. So try the opposite and then see what happens. And if everything goes to shit because you've made these changes, then come back and convince me that this isn't a good idea. Like that's a good way to start um, is just to go out and try to look at the world in a different way. Um, you could also do this with other people. You could say, let me look at the people in my life. Are the people who are really hard on themselves truly accomplishing more in life, for example, or getting more done or, or whatever, more efficient than the people who aren't, you know, like, let me go out and do some quote unquote market research and maybe talk to other people about this. Like, what do you think? What do you think? Um, because what we do is we have these ideas and beliefs that go unexamined and they just rattle around in our own heads. And as soon as you start to sort of let them out, it can be really surprising the, you know, uh, information that can come your way. So I would just encourage people to like low pressure, no pressure, kind of go and explore the other side of their belief in that way. I love it. Have you ever had anyone come back to you and be like, my life became terrible because I started being nicer to myself? Not that I can recall. <laughs> I feel like maybe I would have filtered that information out. No, I'm just joking. No, I don't think that's ever happened. Uh, it certainly is a process. You know what I mean? But I mean, like I can, I remember this one time I was, um, I was going uh, back and forth between Toronto and, and the place I was living. And I had my keys to get into the place I was staying. And I view myself as a very responsible person. And I was actually kind of patting myself on the back about how efficient I was getting about going back and forth with my packing and everything like this. I'm like, I'm so good at getting everything together. And then in that moment, I realized I forgot my keys. And the very first thing I did was, that is so stupid, Vanessa. Like, how could you do something like that? You know, the person isn't home. It's late at night. This is where you're staying. Uh, you're only laying in the keys. And like, what kind of a person? And I just started down this kind of like, I'm so stupid path. And I actually caught, and this is after like quite a long time of me trying to sort of make the shift in my life. And without having to work hard at it, I remember my brain going, wait, no, 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 this isn't the way, this isn't what we do anymore. Like this kind of realization. And I was like, all right, everyone forgets stuff sometimes. It doesn't mean you're an irresponsible person or that you're a stupid person. You just, you did a stupid thing. Cause I was like, that was a stupid thing. And it is important to be realistic about the stuff. Like it was stupid to forget my keys, but that doesn't reflect on me, you know, as a person. And so then I thought, okay, the most important thing is like, what are you going to do about it? And so instead of getting all stressed out, I arrived and I sat down and I kind of calmly paid attention to my body. And I was like, I feel very, you know, like having a lot of unpleasant feelings right now. I just felt them. And then I thought, okay, you know, who can I reach out to? Who do I know in my life that can help me out? Uh, you know, and, and thinking about the support system I had made me feel better. And then I eventually came, I problem solved the situation in like 10 minutes instead of like beating myself up forever. And then taking so long to come up with a solution because I was in such a frazzled state over my own, you know, obsession with making myself, punishing myself for the thing instead of like focusing on the solution. So, I mean, it does work. It does take a long time. Like I can't sugarcoat the fact that you know, if you wake up tomorrow and say, today's the day I'm going to develop self-compassion, I, you probably will develop some, but it does take a while to sort of switch to having your mind organically think that way and not have to take yourself through this process of being like, no, wait, I don't like that anymore. Now I'm going to think about it like this. Okay. I kind of believe myself. Okay. I mostly believe myself. Like that is sort of the process. And so I think it's really important for people to also know that um, you know, it, 
you need repetition, you need patience, you need to have faith that it will work um, in the end, which is why it's good to talk to other people that are on board with whatever thing you're trying to do so that you can see that in real life, this actually does happen. Yeah, I think it's really important that you mention that because I know a lot of people would say that it's really easy to say, oh, just be nice to yourself. Don't beat yourself up. But when push comes to shove (laughs) in a moment, um, you know, when we're in that reactive state, it's, it's a lot easier said than done. So true. Earlier in the process. So you also kind of teach yourself to, you know, like that, that story I described happened in five minutes. It could have also happened an hour or two later, but then it's also kind of like more work. So you eventually sort of train yourself to get in on it earlier. And then that also makes it easier. Okay, cool. So do you have some tools then that you could recommend for our listeners? Maybe some that are like a little bit on like the practical, like make sense in a lot of people's minds. Maybe if there's a couple like woo things that you really like that could help them start to just practice getting these reps in of being kinder to themselves and hopefully over time shorten that leg time from uh, not so great thing happening and then not beating themselves up. Yeah. Um, I totally do. I have so many, and this is actually a great question, but it's like, oh my God, we could spend a lot of time talking about this. Um, so, I mean, the first thing I'll say is going back to what I was talking about before is the very first thing is to make sure you have a really solid foundation of self-awareness. And I really believe that that comes from being more aware of our body and body sensations. Um, a lot of people are surprised to learn, um, when I tell them that emotions live in the body, like emotions are sensations in the body because we're so used to thinking about our emotions that we kind of, uh, mash it all together and think it all happens in our mind. Um, and a lot happens in our mind. We we reflect on our, our emotions, but feeling them is actually in our body. So any kind of like mind body movement practice or mindfulness practice. So like meditation, like a body scan meditation, I, I pretty much, um, give all my clients a body scan meditation right at the start to make sure they have this resource to use, um, you know, in perpetuity, like if they haven't already done it uh, as a way to develop body awareness and things like Pilates, yoga, going on nature walks, like, you know, anything, uh, swimming even, like where you can just feel your body sensations um, is really important. So it's also easy, as much as it's easy to say, just be nice to yourself, it's also easy to just go to yoga class, check it off and say, I did mind-body exercise. But I'm really, I want to emphasize being in the experience and like really focusing on feeling your sensations very specifically, not just going there, you know, for the, for the fitness or for, um, you know, the escape, which is to- totally legitimate reasons to go to exercise classes. But like, you can also use it as a tool to build um, self-awareness. So, and also the first part of self-compassion is mindfulness. So that's a really, you know, it, it directly relates to um developing self-compassion too. Um, I think what happens is when people are starting off in this kind of not being a shithead in themselves, um, they're often maybe more on the pessimistic side of things. And I can definitely relate to that because I'm not a natural born optimist. Like I've trained myself to be more optimistic over time. Um, but pessimists will often, uh, or people who have pessimistic thinking will often kind of cling to it because they have this belief um, legitimate belief that they're planning for the worst case scenario or they're planning for things that could go wrong. And in fact, pessimistic people are typically more realistic about predicting outcomes, but also less happy. So it's kind of like, how do you balance that? You know, you want to stay realistic, um, but you don't want to be like bogged down by negative thinking. And so 
One of my favorite um, activities I do with people that I uh, have stolen, borrowed from Tim Ferriss, the author of Four Hour Body, Four Hour Workweek, and Tools of the Titans, and all those giant books you could iron your clothes with, um, is uh, the worst case scenario exercise where you actually write it down or speak out loud. So if it's in a coaching session and have them tell me, what is the most outrageous, crazy, worst case scenario that, that you're afraid might happen? Because what happens in these situations is we intellectually know that that worst case scenario isn't going to happen because it's so outrageous in our minds. But if we don't kind of let it out and, and articulate it, we can't see how um, it's got a hold on us because we kind of believe on a level that it might happen. And so you write it down and you kind of write down like really or, or speak out the craziest thing that can happen. But then after that, what you do is you say, all right, if that thing happened, if that insane thing happened, what would I do to work my way out of it? Um, and so, for example, when I was getting ready to leave my job and, and work on my business full time, I had this really irrational fear that, you know, uh, so it starts off rational. I had this fear that my business would fail and it wouldn't be successful, which is like that happens sometimes. But then there was a result of that, you know, I would end up homeless and like nobody would love me and I, like I would, you know, fail in life and then basically just die. Like that was kind of the trajectory. And so I knew that that wasn't probably what was going to happen, but it still freaked me out. And so I remember when I wrote all this down, first of all, I went, okay, that's probably not going to happen. But then I thought, okay, if that happens, like if I end up completely destitute from taking this one risk with my career, what would I do to get myself out of it? And then in that part, I realized I'm actually very resourceful. I'm very smart. Like I, I work hard, you know, I have all these and, and I have people in my life that, that support me. So that whole being by myself part isn't even really a thing. And I immediately felt better. I, I will say that I didn't not have any more moments of fear. I totally, totally did, but I didn't let it stop me from doing, you know, what I wanted to do. So that's, I think a really powerful way of like accessing you know, what your negative thoughts are, bringing them up to the surface and then using them in a constructive way. Um, and the other one I really like, the last one I'll talk about because I can't talk about all my favorite tools is like, um, you know, taking your um, your regular kind of negative thoughts and, and taking the time to reframe them really intentionally. Uh, I do this with clients a lot because the thing about reframing is you can't just make it the opposite of your thought. So if your thought is like, my business will never succeed, your brain is not going to buy into my business is definitely a hundred percent going to succeed because if you believe that you wouldn't be doing this exercise in the first place. Right. So it's like getting yourself to a point where you say, you know, my business could succeed or fail. Like for some people, that's the most positive they could be about that thought at that time. So I really like getting people to a point where they can make their thinking more positive, but like still believe it and still, and in stages, gradually bring themselves over to to thinking more positively if, if it's about themselves or about a situation whatever it is it definitely is a process and I think a lot of people just try to flip it and it, that definitely is mm-hmm. yes oh my gosh I I feel like we're kind of the same person just in like different parts of the world because those are exactly yeah. like it's that last one especially you know from the whole affirmation standpoint I I love me a good affirmation but it drives me insane in the personal development world how we're told to just like write these things out over and over and over again and force ourselves to believe them. And I've had so many women come to me saying that like, you know, I wrote, I love my body on my mirror and I stare at it and I repeat it over and over again, but it just feels so fake. Yeah. And 
I understand that we have to kind of, you know, put ourselves in a space of a, a different reality outside of the one that we're currently in in order to shift into a new reality. But there has to be that middle point. Yeah. It doesn't just Absolutely. Happen. Yeah. And I think in general, what I've noticed in coaching and, and fitness and nutrition and all the things is that, you know, people really buy into this myth that things have to be so big and so hard all the time. So people are like, I can't run at all. I'm going to run a 5K. You know, uh, I'm not being nice to myself at all. I'm going to be nice to myself all the time. Mm-hmm. Those outcome goals are not wrong, but there's so much that happens in the middle that that's what you actually need to plan and strategy for, not like the the first and the last point, right? Not that these things are really endpoints, but even just conceptualizing it that way, it's the middle part is most of the part. And people really flounder in that, in how do I get from point A to point B? Mm-hmm. And navigate all of the ups and downs and sideways and circles and spins yeah. and everything that happens in between. And expecting that it will be easy at times, it will be hard at times, it will be fun at times, it will be not so fun at times. Like th- those are all the things that you experience. It's not just going to be a straight shot, you know, to awesome land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So essentially taking a good dose of self-compassion and not being a shithead to yourself and combining that with a little bit of expectation management and an acceptance of the in-between states. And we've got ourselves a recipe for a pretty awesome life, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Expectation um, management is very important. I, I, I like to, I have a turn of phrase where I say I had a little talk with myself and that's usually when I'm doing expectation management work on myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for example, when I moved into my new apartment, I was going to power unpack and have it all set up before the weekend I had to work. And of course, you know, after the, the first half day of cleaning where I cleaned one corner of the apartment and not really unpacked anything, I was getting really frustrated. So I had a talk with myself where I was like, you need to change how you're thinking about this. And instantly I felt better. I went out for a walk, I came back and then it was fine. And so that, even just that simple technique of being like, what you expect is not in line with what's happening because that creates a lot of frustration in their brains. People hate being in that state of not being able to achieve a task or objective. Oh my gosh. Yes. 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 Um, so related to this topic, if we have someone who is super into this and they want to continue diving into this a little bit more with their own research, do you have any favorite resources, whether they're in the form of books or podcasts or blogs or anything like that? Yeah. So, um, I actually, I'm glad I had some time to think about this because I have, I read so much and I was like, all right, you gotta rein this in. Um, (laughs) and so I actually made a list of like people that I really like because all these people have books. They also have podcasts. Usually they have other, like there's different channels. I appreciate people have different learning styles and sometimes they like to watch videos or hear audio or read or whatever. Um, you know, and so um, one of my favorite people in the whole world is Mark Manson. I actually just got to meet him at his book signing. He wrote oh, the, cool. uh, the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck and the new one, Everything is Fucked, a book about hope. And so, and I think that, you know, he's very philosophical. So definitely for people who are like big introspective thinkers, which tend to be my people, which is why I wanted to talk about him. But I think that he offers a lot about like how to handle yourself. And I know that's not kind of the term he would use, but that's how I would describe it to people in terms of like, like a philosophy about living and getting the most out of life and why are we here? So if you're like at really about those like big thinking questions, his new book, especially it really kind of like um, blew my mind. And I was already a fan of his and the ending really like kind of shook me. I did not see that coming. So there's like, it's exciting, I think in my opinion. Um, and Tim Ferriss, who I already mentioned, uh, what I like about him is he's such a big experimenter. If anyone's been following his work, he 
his book, The 4-Hour Body, is basically him doing all these things to himself just to see what worked. And, and I really like that spirit of experimentation and just diving in and trying stuff. I think that's really important. And he's a great role model for like his career trajectory has been so random. Like if you read his bio, like I'm sure most of his life, he was like, what am I even doing right now? But like, he's created this like very unique like world for himself, which I think is so admirable. And he's got tons of resources and good knowledge to offer. Um, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Kristen Neff and Brene Brown, who are like, uh, uh, work together and separately, but Kristen Neff is the researcher that has brought self-compassion into, you know, the collective consciousness and Brene Brown, very popular, of course, talking always about vulnerability, courage, authenticity. Um, and they actually do have a project together that I forgot to look up the name of. Um, but it goes hand in hand because being self-compassion requires you to be vulnerable with yourself. And that quite frankly sucks at first if you, if it doesn't come naturally to you. And so I think those ladies really work well together and go hand in hand. Um, and Sharon Salzberg is one of my favorite mindfulness people. Um, her uh, newest book called Real Love is all about mindfulness and self-love and self-compassion. It's a great resource for anyone wanting to get into mindfulness work, wanting to get into um you know, the body awareness, but with the perspective of, of loving yourself and going through the process and the journey and not just the, you know, making it happen on the mirror kind of part, like really getting into the stuff. Um, and then my, my last one I'm going to mention is, is a book, and I think they have other stuff going on too, but the book uh, Switch, How to Change and Change is Hard by Dan and Chip Heath. It's got so many really practical strategies on how to just change shit. And that's really like what everyone's trying to do, whether it's fitness or mindset like whatever it all comes down to like how do I change my very busy life to accommodate this new thing and then actually keep doing it you know hopefully in perpetuity or for as long as I want like that's broadly what it all comes down to and that book I use all the time in my first practice mm, amazing Cool. I'll be sure to link up to the book in the show notes. And then for our listeners, what I'll do is I'll just put the uh, the names of the individuals that you mentioned just so that you can go and check them out on YouTube or look them up on podcasts or books or anything like that. Great. Cool. Well, this was super fun. Um, I love chatting with you because I love, I just love your perspective on everything. And it's always great. It's something, it's your philosophies are very similar to how I live my own life. And it's very helpful for me to hear them from other people to remind me that I also need to stop being a shithead to myself. So thank you, Vanessa. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It was lots of fun. And I always like talking to like-minded people too. And, and yeah, sometimes like the power of talking to someone else cannot be, you know, overstated really, because Mm -hmm. everyone, when you find someone that, that validates or confirms what you already know or inspires you to make a change that you know you need to make, it's, it's awesome. It's such a nice experience. Totally. So if we have somebody who wants to connect with you, if they want to work with you, learn from you, anything like that, where can they find you? Yeah. So um, if you go to my website, which is uh, vanessabellacoaching.com, um, I actually have a, a freebie on there, three steps to shutting down your inner shithead. You can sign up for it. It's right at the bottom. Um, I also have a blog on there that's full of, I think, marginally useful information. Um, and I'm also on Instagram. Um, and that's my own, only social media channel. And I just want to say um, a lot of people feel overwhelmed in life and too busy. And I consciously made a choice to only have one social media channel for better or for worse to just make myself happier. So that is the one place you'll find me on social is on Instagram. Good for you. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and for coming and sharing your insights with us, Vanessa. Like I said, I got a ton out of it and I'm sure our listeners did too. 
Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Of course. And to our listeners, as always, thank you so much for your time and your energy and for allowing us to hang out in between your ears. I'll be back with you next week with another episode of the Daily Sweat Podcast. Have a great day. Hey, before you go, if you enjoyed today's episode, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a review letting us know what you thought. Thank you.